Hello and welcome to Hello and Adieu. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Mathis and myself are Medea in human form. Actually, Medea is a human, so we are Medea in <laughs> real person form. We'll and, say that. Medea yeah, is not exactly. a real person, so we can say that. Well, no. Well, <laughs> um, Medea is Tyler Perry. Let's be honest um hi everyone this is um a really fun episode yeah we talk about a lot of different things i feel like we didn't maybe not i guess this is what we normally talk about mathis tell us what we're talking about exactly this is normally what an episode looks like we talk about uh our weeks a little bit quick reviews of the light between oceans hell or high water and sully there's a lot of good movies playing right now so everybody should be going to the movies because we're about to go into oscar season and it's it's getting good. It's getting we also lit. talk about John tells his story about a an interesting celebrity sighting that would have made uh, the middle school versions of ourselves super excited. We talk <laughs> about the iPhone Seven, which was announced this past week. Uh, we sort of give our thoughts and where we think that's going, like projecting iPhone yeah. Seven to eight to nine, you know, for the future. To nine to ten to eleven. Our movie segment this week was. <laughs> Shut up. Our movie segment this week was Stuck in Love, so we give a an in-depth look in what we thought about that movie. Yeah. And then we close out the episode with some Joseph Campbell discussion about mythology, religion, Christianity, relating to Jesus. Uh, why is that difficult? How do you do it? That sort of discussion. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It's one of me and John's favorite topics. So, yeah, yeah let us know what you guys think of that. Chill. You can, as always, hit us up at our email, hello and adieu, gmail dot dot cam dot com, a g l l o a n d a d i u at gmail dot com. Hit us up on Twitter, hello and adieu. Rate, subscribe, comment on iTunes, mm-hmm. and I feel like we just have to get this started. So enjoy. Yep. Hi, Mathis. Hello. 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 Did you see there's a new Medea movie? I I did. Why? I think, I don't even know how many I've seen because I feel like they're the same movie, but I feel like I always like them. That's the problem. Because I love that comedy. I do. There's something like endearing about hello. Hello. The the only one I've seen is I Can Do Battle by Myself. That's Medea? Medea's in it. It's not oh. a Medea movie, but it's in the same world. Oh. Yeah. It's Medea. The new one huh? looks like Medea in Resident Evil, though. Like, <laughs> that's true. I, I just saw that one shot where there's like the chase scene and it's like uh-huh. it's a Halloween movie. So I was yep. like, I don't know if those are actual goblins or if those are people in costumes, but this looks That's what like, I wondered, too. Really? Maybe yeah, like it's it all a dream. Clear. Or it's like a fright fest that went bad. Ugh. How Anyways, was your week? <laughs> it was good. Um, we kind of we kind of did an early episode last week, so like I feel like a lot's happened. Yeah. Went to the zoo, which was really fun. I did this whole surprise birthday party with uh, with my my friend, and it was a lot of fun. 
And then uh, other than that, just been getting uh, different production things going on over here. Life's just chugging along. You did some chugging traveling, along. though. You want to talk about that? Yes. Uh, the reason we uh, recorded earlier last week is because I was going to Nashville that last weekend right. for Labor Day. Yeah. Where <laughs> That is correct. Because um, <laughs> my sister and brother-in-law live there. And, you know, we just did a lot of fun things. Went out to dinner, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And on the way home, on my flight, you know how when you see people, they just hold a different energy to them where you're like, that person has had either success in life, but they just hold themselves differently. So I flew Southwest. And if you've never flown Southwest, they don't have seats. Like you don't get a specific seat. Oh, that's right. What you get is you have a place in line. There's three groups, A, B, C. And then you have a place in line, one through 60. And depending on which group you're in depends on, you know, when you get to choose your seat, essentially. And I was in the A group because I paid for early bird check-in, which I actually recommend. Um, So it just automatically checks you in to group because I've always gotten group C. If I check in by myself, I'm always group C. Yeah, but everybody Um, takes off at the same time. What's the point in loading first? Because then you get off first and you get better. I mean... Uh. I just tried it out once. It was the first time I tried it and I actually really liked it because I got to be in the second row um, okay. and I was flying alone. So any open sea, I was like, can I sit there? And I became a Southern belle for a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> can I sit there? Can I sit there? So anyways, this man was sitting in the first row and I just, I was like, he looks like mm-hmm. he has success. Like he's holding himself up and then afterwards when i left the plane i was walking i like speed walk also i don't know if people know this about me but like oh, God bless if you. i'm by myself i like just i walk fast so i was like speed walking down like the terminal and i saw mm-hmm. the lady who was sitting next to him and she was on the phone and she was like you will never guess who i sat next to the lead singer from dc talk that was not was who like, it was that's who it was and then i googled it and that was him and Which if you one? guys don't know who DC Talk it, the lead singer. I don't Michael know what his Tate? name is. Toby Mac? Kevin Mac? Toby Mac's Toby Mac is not in DC Talk. Um Wait, but so he any, used to be. I don't think so. Yeah, he did. Did he? Yeah. I'm gonna fact check you right meow. DC Talk was like the hottest Christian band for like late eighties, all of the nineties, like some of the early two thousands, and they're they all still they're all still doing stuff because they're sort of like these these idols in the the Christian mm-hmm. in the Christian uh music media uh you know niche. Yeah. But who who was it? Was it Toby Mac? It was not Toby Mac and it was Michael I, Tate. You were you were right. It Toby Mac was in DC Talk, so yeah, I apologize. Of course I was it right. It was Michael Tate, yeah. It was Michael Tate. So it, wow. It was Michael Tate. And I'm going to be honest, I only know a few DC Talk songs, but I do remember in youth group, DC Talk was like the hit band that everyone listened to. Well, and at now, the church. Michael Tate is in Newsboys, which is still. Oh, right. I, yeah. Yes. Which is still one of the biggest Christian bands. Not as much as they that, used to be, but they, they have a huge legacy of. They really do. Lo- like a long list of albums that they've made over the last decade and change. So, yep, that's that's my story. That's really that's funny. I would have recognized him. So funny. I know. Sorry. <laughs> if we started Sorry. singing one of their songs, I'd be like, wait a second. Yeah, what if we Jesus? just started singing? Yeah, exactly. Supernatural. 
That's the one <laughs> song I really do know by them. Jesus Freak. I should have uh, just started. I should have went up to him and just started singing it. Like, I don't remember what the words were. What would people think if they yes. I wonder how many people do that. Oh, Go up yeah. and just whisper to him. What would people do when they find that it's true? Oh, oh. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyways. <laughs> I was going to say, I saw Sully yeah. this past weekend. Is it exactly like Flight? Um, there are some similarities, but it's different because it's the true story. I would, I, it's actually a really good movie. I probably wouldn't see it again, at least maybe not for 10 years. And the problem with Tom Hanks in it, he's great, but it's Tom Hanks as Sully. Like I, you cannot get past the fact that it's Tom Hanks and that's the one downfall of this. Yeah. Well, I think the problem is, is it's a real person. If he's playing a fictional character, you can be like, okay, Tom Hanks is an FBI agent. Fine. But when he's playing a person from like five years ago, it's just not, it's not believable. But it's actually, it is a really good movie. And the story itself is pretty compelling because of all the things that happened afterwards. And they really, really wanted to blame this pilot for landing in the oh. Hudson because they thought that and the computers were showing that he had enough time to get back to LaGuardia or to get to a different airport. And all these computers were okay. saying all these um, different tests that they did um, were saying that they had enough elevation, they had enough power to get back to the airport, and they didn't have to actually destroy the plane and land in the water. I just I feel like the marketing has not been on point for the movie because. It's the same thing that was sort of happening when Flight started having a bunch of marketing stuff where I was like, okay, but what else happens after the plane crashes? Because it's only yeah, like I this love one. Flight. <laughs> yeah, and I love Flight too. And thankfully, Flight is a movie that is um, like all of the action happens in the first 30 minutes and then the rest of the movie is just very dramatic, brooding um, alcoholism problems. But mm-hmm. the, I thought the same thing seeing the commercials for Sully. I was like, but what what does he do after he crashes the plane and saves everybody? Like, I didn't see the the movie in it. Yeah, I'm glad that I would it's recommend good. it. Yeah, I would recommend seeing it. I mean, you don't have to see it in theaters, but I yeah, I I I love the story of you know the plane landing in the Hudson because we usually don't get good stories about planes making emergency mm-hmm. landings. It's such a it's such a movie moment too, like a plane landing on a river mm-hmm. in a city. Like that's such a movie moment. And what was funny is I saw it right after I got off work on Friday. So it was a 4.30 uh-huh. showing. And when I went in, it was all old people. Oh like, it God. was like retirement city population my theater, which is fine. The funniest part is it started pouring outside. And you could, uh-huh. you know how you can hear it on the things? Uh-huh. And literally, like, four different people were like, it's raining. <laughs> it's, did you know it was supposed to rain today, Dave? And I was like, this is every old person's conversation. Oh, my God. It, was, it really is. I, I heard conversations like that when I went to see The Light Between Oceans. Because oh, really? I was the only I was the only young person in the theater. <laughs> Everybody was older. And, like, before the movie started, I was listening to conversations around me. And I was like, what? Is this going to be me? Is this literally going to be me when I'm that age? Uh-huh. The, one of my favorites was there was, there was uh, a group of, I lo- this is something I actually love. A group of old people came to see the movie together, like as oh. friends. And I was like, I hope I have that part. But what was funny was, so they're sitting a little bit further behind me, and I hear one guy say, huh, 
it's playing at midnight too so if you don't understand it this time we can all come back <laughs> and i was like it's not that funny gramps why are you making that joke did they laugh around them or at that age do they not pity laugh I don't think they do. I think this oh. one older lady with them laughed because she legitimately thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. But I would have uh, laughed. You think older? You know, you think younger people would have showed up for this one, but I guess not. Uh, it was really good though. Was it? Um, yeah, it's super moody in like a, a good way. Like the atmosphere is really powerful. It's right after World War One, so the world is just in this very desperate and lonely state for. Mm-hmm for all of the characters and the way that they like show the places and the way that they show the communities. It's very like everyone's in like a perpetual heartache and everybody's looking for hope and everybody's looking for love. And that's sort of how the candor and Fassbender sort of fall in love with each other. It's beautiful in the sense of they're both very lonely at the, at the point in time when they find each other. Mm. It's uh, but yeah, it's really powerfully acted and it's the idea that there, there's this like, couple who is hopelessly unloved like living in a lighthouse on this small island out in the middle of the ocean next to this like super small town it just it feels very storybookish you know yeah i i do really want to see it mainly for the chemistry between fassbender or fassbender and vikander because they are dating in real life and i guess my question is were they dating before they did this movie because if they met on set they okay. fell in love doing the movie. Because I was going to say, that is a very bold and brave move to film a movie w- about love with someone you're dating. Because if you do break up during that time, that's going to be very uncomfortable to like be in those scenes about love and being like, I just oh, miss yeah. you and I love you. But then when the, you know, it's hard to keep that We're chemistry you, going Twilight. if you're broke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and like in Big Bang Theory, um, Johnny Galecki and Kaylee Cuoco dated, and now they they broke they, up. Well, they've been broken up for a long time. Kaylee even got married. You no, know, I don't follow time. my friggin' Big Bang Theory. I don't know. Well, what's I don't going either. On but it definitely affects the chemistry. I think that's why it feels so real in the movie. Um, I just watched Ruby Sparks for the first mm. time, and uh, Anna suggested that to me. It's phenomenal, by the way. I watched that over the past like uh, week and a half or so. But uh, the lead woman in it zoe kazden she also wrote the movie and she's paul dano's longtime girlfriend oh and they fall they fall in love in the movie when they made the movie they'd already been dating like seven years like oh that's a safe so, bet then <laughs> yeah it, it's a safe number but you can tell because they have a shorthand together where it's like it, they feel like they're in love because they actually are together and it's and it's it has this different level to it because it's not puppy love it's not like the first year of a relationship it's not like the head over heel stage it's like they've they've been through very key moments of their lives together and and now they are they are a uh, couple who's made this like little indie movie come to life you know it's very yeah. it has a really powerful feel to it because of that i think and then the other movie i saw i'll just talk about it very briefly but is hell or high water which is mm. for sure one of the best movies that's come out this year. It's the best thing Chris Pine's ever done. I was going to say Chris Pine, like he never wows me. He got me in this movie. Like he's never got me like this before. I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And I, Ben Foster is one of my favorite actors. Really? he is. Yeah. It's, uh, 
the pace reminded me a lot of Nightcrawler in the sense of like you're watching it and you're like, oh my god, this movie is not slowing down. Like things just keep happening, and it's it's so thrilling. There's really amazing uh you know chase sequences in it there's like some really indie style action sequences in it it's it's just a really fun movie it's like a a really good time at the movies it's hilarious too like they made a very bold yeah they made a very bold decision to put jokes in very often so like jeff bridges is constantly making jokes chris pine and foster are constantly making jokes back and forth it's it's really good well in regards to ben foster I keep seeing the Inferno trailer. Like the first scene in the trailer is him and the guy comes up and he's like, you have the answer or whatever. Give us whatever. And Uh then he like falls off the building and kills himself. And I couldn't. It's in the trailer. So I'm not spoiling anything. But I kept thinking like this is a a well an, an actor that is well known. So why is he playing a role that gets squashed right away unless he like comes back or is in flashbacks? This might be irrelevant, but I just, it was very, you know how you can tell in trailers who, what characters are going to be important based on who's playing them. Like you may see like a group of people and then there's like one well-known person in the back and you're like, okay, clearly that person. That's the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I was just confused. I mean, I still get confused when A-list actors take like minuscule roles in movies. I'm like, why are you in this movie? Uh Uh-huh do not understand did you just really like the script and you were like i'll be the guy with two lines i just really i'll bring the donuts i'll bring the donuts if you want to put me on camera fine if you don't i'll just go get another round of donuts i don't care yeah okay so this week iphone 7 was announced do you think baby should have iphones because i do i told john that we have to talk about it because every time apple does a launch there is always a bunch of feedback from it yes Haptic and I, I guess every time feels feels like, but it's never been like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so I feel like that now, but I feel like it's the same every year. But it's still a really great conversation. And I actually haven't heard what you think about the new iPhone at all. So I wanted to hear. Yes. Um, I have a few thoughts about the iPhone. Honestly, I don't think it's that different. So it really doesn't matter to me whatsoever. The mm-hmm. only thing, and I th- this is the main thing and this the, main the main feedback thing. that mm-hmm. people are giving is the headphone jack. Now, I I did look up the iPhone 7. I looked up the features. What does come in the box is a lightning jack headphone. So what it does is it plugs into where you would plug your adapter, and it has Mm -hmm. a cord to the headphones. So you can still listen through that, and they don't give you those new Bluetooth headphones. You have to buy them. They don't. Which, when I heard that, I was like... $160. Exactly. And I was like, that is terrible. Since they do give you those other headphones, I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, but the thickness of it is the same. So I don't know why they just didn't keep the headphone jack. I think it's, I mean, it's a little smaller, but not small enough where they mm-hmm. probably could have cut it in half with this new edition. Yeah. Um, without, by taking out the headphone jack, they probably couldn't have. There's probably a lot of logistics, but I figured it was going to be much thinner and it wasn't. There's really not that much else to talk about it. It's water resistant, well, which is cool. Well, I think the, one of the only reasons why it can be water resistant, and it, it can go underwater for 30 minutes and still be okay, is because they got rid of the headphone jack. Yeah, but what then? What about the adapter plug and the speakers? It has dual yeah, speakers I now. Think it does have dual speakers, which I think is great. Uh, but I think that there's something, there's something about those two 
elements that are a lot easier to waterproof than the headphone jack is. I see. But I don't think that it was so much like an economy of space thing where they were like, oh, we don't have room for the headphone jack. I think it was a very clear, straightforward, creative decision where they were like, we think this is the way of the future and we're going to do this. There's so many problems with it, though. Like, I think the biggest the biggest problem is that the days of like cheap headphones are going to be over because they're you can like you can walk into any store right now and buy like five dollar headphones and you you won't be able to use five dollar headphones for the new iphones even like five years from now you'll you'll still be paying probably like the lowest number will be thirty dollars for cheap cheap headphones you know like it seems like a money thing to me and that's what's frustrating and they're just so easily lost like you can lose those bluetooth ones so easy and when i run my my right ear the headphone always comes out because it doesn't fit my ear well so if I'm supposed to be running with those Bluetooth ones and it just like pops out, uh-huh. I just I'm sure they've made it so that to make up for that. But yeah, maybe. Still, those are. It's cool. It's very futuristic, but I don't it's think we're there futuristic. yet. I don't think we need it yet. I don't we think like, it's necessary. And I honestly don't even know if that's where the future's going. I think we like I, having headphones. Yeah. Connected. I, I like having a tether. I, I do too. Like, I like that it's it is like the trans it's the transport of the sound but it's also connecting my ear to the actual phone like there's a there's a security to it i'm not going to lose the headphones because they're tethered to the iphone i'm not going to like lose the iphone because i have my earphones and like there's just a certain connection that you have to the physical device and i do like that a lot i think the new design looks really pretty of the phone or the of the phone but it kind of looks the same Exactly. I think that there's a lot of minuscule changes that I'm like, ooh, that's nice, that's nice. But at the end of the day, anybody who buys that phone, their phone's going to look like my phone because we've all got Mm -hmm. our phones in cases. And it doesn't... (laughs) That's so true. It doesn't matter all that much how pretty it is. So after I got over how pretty it looked, I was like, yeah, but what else does it do? Nothing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it it um, always, like, does better with processing speed and color and... Those retina exactly. details, which is great. The, the retina displays better. It's twenty five percent brighter than any iPhone's ever been. The yeah. battery. The they're saying that the battery is like really, really powerful. So yeah. I'm actually I'm really interested to see after the phone's been out for like eight months to see what the battery life actually is like. Because well, if it, if it is as long as they're saying, it sounds like it can do like it can like be used throughout a whole day like heavy without charging my thing is i this is one conspiracy that i hold to it's that they make these phones so that in a few years the battery does die and i don't know if there's science out there that calls for it so the thing for me when they talk about better battery um usage is that i think they probably still have that in place so in two years it's still going to go bad like it may keep for a while but either way i think they're going to make it so that you have to get a new one I mean, it certainly feels that way. That's my favorite joke from Kimmy Schmidt. That joke whenever he's like, oh, the new iPhone came out today. You know what that means? And then Kimmy's like, what? And then his phone just falls apart in his hands. <laughs> That's the best joke. I didn't joke. get that. And but I, the, sad, the sad part is, is that it doesn't fit into the scene at all. I'm like, That's that such a good ma- joke, and it's in the wrong movie. That's you know, okay. Or in the wrong TV show. But it's such a good joke. Oh, my goodness. Because I've talked to at least five people um, that have had the same problem that I had with my iPhone five, that when it gets Mm -hmm. down to mine was 50% and my friends are like 30 and 20, that the phone just shuts off. Like that's what happened with my iPhone five is it would get to 50% 
and then it would shut off and it would be dead and that's it's a happened, serious problem i know and it's happened to several of my friends and that's people that i know directly i can't imagine people i don't know directly yeah. that it's been happening to so we on to you apple I, d- I don't know how much i believe in the phone actually breaking on its own uh or not breaking on its own but having such a short lifespan but i mm-hmm. firmly believe that they develop things mm-hmm. much further and then they say okay well for the next release let's cut whatever this development is yes. into like half and give it to them well and, and then it could... if we don't have anything in a half a year or i mean in a year then we just we just bump in that other half that we cut out like Maybe they created a battery that lasted eight hours and they give you the four hour version. Right. Um, things I, like that. I think some of it could be with the iOS as well. Like every time you download a new iOS, that's it, that part does have a of, huge effect. And I think they do that on purpose. They do that on <sighs> purpose. Yeah. Apple, we love you, but we hate you. Yeah. I, I saw, I saw a great comic where the, this, this little stick figure was like, oh my god i hate the new iphone and then the other sister yeah. was like get an android and he was like no i just want to complain and get a new iphone exactly you know it's something like that That's so true because I mean, really they're the most reliable products exactly they really are it's like and people are like i think apple's finally you know jumped the shark they've they've done it and i'm like no because we're all gonna still buy apple because totally they are will. very they're very good products and mm-hmm. i think they do yank our chain a lot but they are and we always really do have products. to find something to complain about with anything. Exactly. The best things, yeah. you're going to find something. And the battery's it for the iPhone. Uh, what do you think about the new camera? The whole, how it has two lenses in the back and it has like zoom power. You know, they always talk about the camera getting updated and it's better. And honestly, that's not something I look at really. Exactly. That's so, how I feel. I was like, I mean, the camera it's in the great. is great. I don't. It's definitely is, better than like, the flip phone I had in middle school, but. It, it, and I just I saw it and I was like I never zoom in. Why would I need two yeah. lenses? I'm not. Well, gonna... that that is true though. If you do zoom in, it does get pixely and kind of grainy. So maybe yeah, it, it will do better. Yeah, it looks terrible, but it, it really does. It just feels like they chose the smallest thing to improve. They were like, yeah. Well, we we've never been able to do good zoom photos. Let's improve that. Let's try that. And apparently, the forward-facing camera is much better. And I was like, okay, good. All the all the basic Snapchats. white girls are gonna have gonna really love the new iPhone Seven. I feel like every two years, the phone is pretty much the same. I feel like the skip from the five to the six was a big one, but like from the four yeah, to the, yeah. or maybe it was after the four, it updated a lot. And then the six was kind of much, was pretty much the same. Well, it I went don't know. Four, there's four like, S, five, five S. There's usually six, like six a model where it's the same for a year and then they do this huge, you know, redefining of you right. know, size. This, is, this was supposed to be the big move. This was supposed to be the big one. And it's not. No. You know what's actually really funny? I was looking at all the the product, promotional videos and photos and all that stuff, and I was like, why is it bigger? And then I found out it wasn't bigger. And I was like, Mm-mm. why does it look bigger to me? I was very confused. <laughs> but I was like, they went even bigger with the phone? And it wasn't. No, it's the same. We should move on, because I'm already tired about talking about iPhones. Yeah, so our movie this week yes. comes to us recommended from Andrew, I think. And oh. it is Stuck in Love. Stuck in love. It's my Beyonce. Is that actually a song? Oh, well, you changed it from drunk in love. love. Yes. Yeah. I Thank just you. got that. Dang. Thank you. Good job, John. Thank you. I'm just not worthy of your jokes. Like they're I'm not the counterpart to these <laughs> no, jokes. No one ever gets my jokes. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. I entertain myself, which I tell you. Yeah, and you definitely do. And you're nice to me. You laugh. So You're nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> So, Stuck in Love is uh, 
it's an indie movie from 2012. It's the directorial and writing debut of Josh Boone. And Josh Boone, he directed The Fault in Our Stars, and he's got a bunch of movies coming out now. Uh, but basically, he's, you know, this this guy who was trying to, like, get where he's at for a really long time, and Stuck in Love was, like, was the breakthrough, you know? It, it was the movie that he finally was able to make after so many years of trying to get a movie off the ground in Hollywood. It's essentially about this broken family, and I say broken kind of in a loose term because it is kind of a comedy um, so it's this broken mm-hmm. family of writers, essentially. The father is a fairly well-known writer, and his two teenage children, one is like 19, I think the other's like 16, yeah. they are kind of pseudo-writers, um, and they're kind of in their father's shadow. And then there's this huge dilemma between those three people of the family and the mother, and that's very evident early on. And it's kind of like mm-hmm. the mystery of it. It's like, what did mom do to really mm-hmm. hurt the rest of the family? Because the did daughters... Did you say that they were divorced? Like they split I, up? I did not say it. But um, okay. yes, yeah, so they are split. And um, the daughter is, you know, hasn't talked to her in a year. Um, the father is waiting for her to come back. And the son is, you know, he's a 16-year-old boy. And he doesn't really... He goes, see, he goes to see mom. And he's friends with kind of both mom and dad. With uh, with Nat Wolf's character, the 16-year-old, he's kind of finding his way through. It's this idea. Yeah, and it's th- this idea that he needs to find experiences to write about. That's what his dad talks about. He says, uh-huh. you know, he sa- has this line where an author said that by the age of 20, you have all the experiences you need to live a creative life. Or to, for, Love or that to, quote. Yeah, I do too, but it also kind of eh, doesn't sit well with me. Um, well, it's the, the reason why I like it is that it's it's not so much that it's it's like you've lived enough of the human experience to be able to write about it for the rest of your life and i think that's right i think for the most I, part for a lot of people yes but i don't feel like i had enough experiences by 20 that i would be able to use to write for the rest of my life yeah so. but we're kind of chill people i know but that's why it does still doesn't sit well with me you know it doesn't apply to everyone yeah. no um, it doesn't and maybe that's just me being like, I didn't have enough experience. Like I've wasted my life. Um, I'm freaking out. <laughs> I'm freaking out. And then um, the teenage girl, she's in college and she's maneuvering mm-hmm. uh, her social life and relationships in regards to how hurt she was by her mom leaving. And so that comes out a lot in her relationships and she doesn't want to love. And she yeah. also is a writer and she sold a book. Um, about yeah, the, the pretty movie much starts anti-love. with her getting her first book published. Yeah, and and the way that she acts throughout college is, it's spurred by her mother and her father because she's she's coming from a place of being hurt by her mother, and she's coming from a place of advice about just have experiences from her father. Mm-hmm. So it creates her into this this like faux cold cold person, you know, my, where she's like fa- this is just the way to live. My favorite subtitle from it is um because i watch movies with subtitles every time at the end when mm-hmm. they're there's this part at the end where mom is confronting not confronting sees her daughter for pretty much the first time in a long time and she's like will you sign this copy of your book for me and then the subtitle says in quotes coldly thank you <laughs> and i was like that's perfect that it's perfect that's pr- that's her whole mood it's very cold and very yeah. <laughs> distant I've I've seen Stuck in Love before, and you've seen uh, Stuck in Love before, but mm-hmm. it 
it's not how I remember it exactly. I remember the beginning really well, and I don't remember the end very well. And I think it's because the beginning was... It's really hard for me to watch. Like, the... Both viewings, I, I was really struggling with the beginning. And I think it's because they're... They're all writers, and writers are just not very good people. They're they're coming from a place of being very broken, and it's very hard to watch from that because there's a lot of negativity when the movie starts. And it's also just coming from a place of that that writer's sort of personality. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's why it's it's stuck in my head so much. But the movie, the movie really does start turning, you know, like somewhere in the middle of the second act and it's a lot more uh, compelling to watch. I really, it's really hard for me to watch Lily Collins character. Lily Collins is the 19 year old who won't talk to her mom and she's just getting her book published. She's so cold and she's so stuck up and she's so like, she was annoying the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I think it's okay I didn't think this the first time, but watching it the second time, the reason why I think it's okay is because the moment that it falls, like I I was crying because it was so it was so powerful when she when her guard comes down and she doesn't even want it to come down in the movie. She's mm-hmm. like, you know, what the hell is happening to me? I was like, Oh wow, that is that's like like you've earned you've earned that attitude in the beginning of the movie. Uh I think it's really it's a really interesting movie in the sense of all of the re- relational dynamics because a lot of it is mirroring of itself. Like mm-hmm. the boy is the the son is falling in love, the daughter's falling in love, the father is holding out for love. Like everyone is in a relationship or trying to be in a relationship or getting out of a relationship in the movie. And I think one of the one of the things that that is not so great about the movie is that there's so many writers in the movie and writers are not the most compelling characters because because of that attitude that they have so it's not it's not as like movie-esque it's not cinematic it's not like somebody it's not like an outlaw trying to rob a bank it's somebody sitting at a computer who's like what's a really good line about this woman that i saw the other day you know it's not a yeah, but the it's movie doesn't really level. focus on them actually writing anything. Like, no, there, but... There's not scenes really where they're just... I mean, there's shots where they're writing on a computer, but really it doesn't focus around that. But but a lot of it is about, like, people have a lot of conversations about reading books. There's lots of scenes where people start the scenes reading books or people are, like, reading together in scenes. There's some shots of people writing books. There's, like you know, like a book publishing party. So there, it's there's this like air to it where it's like, okay, everybody's a writer. And you're not supposed to write movies about writers. And I think this movie kind of shows you why. I think it's a good movie, but it's one of like my complaints with the movie. Um, I Overall, I really did like the movie. There's two things about it that I really liked about it. And one of them was, I feel like they had a lot of honest conversations Um, In regards Mm -hmm. to sometimes in movies, you feel like two characters are kind of skipping over things that they actually really want to say to each other or they're not doing it in a direct way, which is kind of frustrating. And these these characters are so direct that it was kind of refreshing, like one uh, that I really like writers. That's very true. 
Uh, one yeah. that I like is when um, Lily Collins' character is sitting across from this guy in her class, played by Logan Lerman, and he's been trying to, you know, kind of get her out on a date, but, you know, he's so normal, she doesn't want to date him. Um, and then she finds out something about his personal life, and they're sitting at this table drinking hot chocolate and she's like i'm sorry i've been such a bitch and he's like yeah you kind of were such a bitch and i feel like it's so honest that it's so i just i really like that um piece of the writing um and the second thing i noticed is that this movie really needed the swear words that it has in like i felt like they they use their swear words really well and i felt like they if, did if yeah. the swears were not in there I feel like the movie would have felt a lot more fabricated and a lot more Mm -hmm. fake. Typically I feel like independent um, filmmakers are just trying to get movies made that they will make those, they will make those changes for the studio just so they can get their movie on screen. And I feel like they didn't give that up for this and they just kept them in and really held their ground. And over, I mean, honestly, I really liked, I think the characters are compelling and, you definitely feel for all the characters individually. I think they all turn in pretty good performances. Sometimes, Except like, I don't like Lily Collins. <laughs> the bro. I, I don't like Lily Collins' character, and I think she's one of the, like, weaker performers in the movie in some scenes where I'm like, why didn't that scene work? You know? Like, I was like, there's something <laughs> off about you. And I, it did cross my mind when I was watching it. I was like, I wonder if she just got this role because she literally looks like baby Jennifer Connelly. She does, yeah. Because she lit, she legitimately she looks literally like her daughter. Looks like. There's this one shot where she's she finds out about this really bad thing that happens in Logan Lerman's life, and she's like going over to meet him, and she's like driving to his house. And I thought it was Jennifer Connelly when they first cut to the shot. And I was like, why does she look all CGI? I was like, oh my God, that's Lily Collins. It was so, it was so weird. (laughs) But it looks so much like her. Yeah. And we were talking about um, how it's, it feels like a, it feels like it's adapted from a book because it doesn't work totally like a movie. And as we were having this conversation, I think it's because it's, they're writers. So it's, it's the way that it's written. It's the type of stuff that writers do in their day-to-day life that it makes it feel like a book. The movie is almost entirely people like standing around in rooms or sitting around in rooms having conversations. And that's, you know, that's not like a, like a movie movie. It doesn't have a lot of like visual storytelling elements in it. It's a lot of like traditional uh, shoot this person over the shoulder shoot a shot of this person over the shoulder. That's the whole scene. Go to the next scene. I also don't like Nat Wolf in some of the scenes. I, I was like, I don't... Nat Wolf is very hit or miss for me. Yeah. For the most part, he's great in this movie. But there's a few scenes where I was like, what uh, What? What are you doing? What? What? But I mean, like, for example, um, Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is a lot like this movie in the sense of the tonality, It's there's some. there's actually some visual storytelling elements in it. You know what I mean? Like there are times when when it's the picture and not just what the person's saying. Like there's a lot of moments yes. where people don't have to be talking and you're like seeing the scene happen. I really don't like <laughs> that you're comparing it to Perks of Being a Wallflower because I love Perks of Being a Wallflower. <laughs> I know you do, but I'm trying to think of another movie with the same, uh, uh, you know, in 
non-intensity uh, style to it. I it's get very it. similar in style, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Perks is being Perks is a better movie. Okay. Thank you. Let's all agree. Anyways, uh, anybody can uh, check that out. Who's you know following with the podcast, and you can let us know what you think about it. I'd love to hear other people's thoughts about it. Shit. I feel like other people might like it more than I do. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. It sure is. Okay. Closing topic. Yes. Uh, so I have been reading The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell. And this, I mm-hmm. feel like I've brought this up before, but I, I came across this book and Joseph Campbell through Pete Holmes, who is the podcast I brought up before. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. And he brings up Joseph Campbell all the time because he's such a prolific figure in regards to talking about mythology. And he's so intelligent when it comes to mythology and storytelling and and storytelling. And Mm -hmm. he's, it's just, it's such, so far it's such an amazing book and it's kind of dense because it's a transcript of a conversation between Joseph Campbell and this other guy, I think his name is Bill Moyers. And I don't, I don't know if it was at a conference or what, but it's a transcript. So it's, you know, Moyers and then it goes to Campbell and it's like a back and forth. So it doesn't read like a novel. It's a conversation. Um, And it's pretty dense in the sense of it's not an, it's not a quick read. Like if you want to get something out of it, you really have to take your time and read it Mm -hmm. pretty slowly because it has a lot of great, great concepts in it. And one thing I've been really liking about it is, he really looks at mythology in our culture and how it relates to religion. And we talk a lot about religion on here. And so I'm always into a way to look at religion differently because religion is, it was such a huge part of my life. And, you know, now for quite a few years, it hasn't been in my life at all. And so I'm still trying to like find a way to look at religion in a way that isn't always bad. So that's why I've enjoyed his um, kind of analysis of religion. And one thing he talked about that I really, really connected to, and I also feel like I brought this, I've talked about this before, so I apologize. And I feel like I say this every week now that I feel like I've talked about something earlier. Maybe I just need to make a list of things I've talked about. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But essentially he was talking about how um, Jesus as a you know, a Messiah and a character isn't really relatable to us as humans because Jesus was this perfect human being. And yes, Jesus had, you know, he was tempted by sin and he had, you know, all of these experiences. But when you really look at it, and for me, I'm like, you know, but he's still a perfect human being. Like, yes, he may have had temptation, but he never fell to that temptation, which is something that all of us as humans do. And for me, that kind of makes him a bit, unrelatable. And I feel like in Christianity, Jesus is supposed to be the most, you know, relatable character. You're supposed to love and really understand Jesus because that's what Christianity is all about. And I've had a lot of trouble with that idea. And so um, I'm just going to read a little part from it. And the one, I'll just read it and then we'll get, so he says, the only way you can describe a human being Um, truly is by describing his or her imperfections. Um, He talks about how the human, the perfect human is very uninteresting. And the thing that makes you human 
and not supernatural and immortal, that's what's lovable. That is why some have a very hard time loving God because there's no imperfection. You can be in awe, but that would not be real love. It's Christ on the cross that becomes lovable. And he says, suffering, suffering is imperfection, is it not? And the reason I love that is because I've been trying to kind of relate to Jesus in a way, and I like that he finally showed a way where Jesus kind of had that imperfection that we can cling to as humans. And I'm sure people may not like the idea that suffering is an imperfection, because then that kind of insinuates that Christ dying is an imperfection. But to me, that makes him more relatable, and it's something that I can relate to him on. And I feel like I just keep saying relatable. So how do you feel about this madness? <laughs> I I really I really like that quote because I think that 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 Jesus, if you want to look at him as salvation for humankind, he has to he has to be a part of the world in a way, and that's how he's a part of the world. Like he has to come to the world, and then he has to do something that is that is real love, as the quote says. And there's, there's nothing more real that Jesus does for humanity than that. There's, I mean, like, uh, in coming back to the quote, you know, you, you find a person in their uh, imperfection. Jesus, Jesus, like, makes people see again. Jesus makes people walk who've never walked. Jesus, like, brings people back from the death. And still, that's not as real of love as, as a the savior that he is like not just a savior in that way but in in the sense that if you go by the the biblical interpretation of the death on the cross he he takes on the imperfection of the world to do what he does and that is a real thing you know like that is a that is a real person because even if you don't think of jesus as suffering as imperfection the idea that he has to take on the world into his actions that is, that's entirely imperfect. Like that's, you know, sin is evil and he has to take sin upon himself. And sin is, is the imperfection of like, it's the failure of life. It's, it's the, it's everything that goes wrong. It's everything bad about everything, you know? And he has to, he has to have that in order to be who he is. And I think that's why even if I, I, I like, I can accept suffering as an imperfection uh, you know, or not just suffering, but specifically Jesus dying on the cross as an imperfection. But to anybody who actually can't accept that as the imperfection, if you think about it in terms of he has to take sin of everybody to to be to to be what he is, that makes him imperfect in that moment, and he has to die, and that makes him real. You know. Mm-hmm. Totally. And Joseph Campbell considered himself considered himself a uh, a Catholic as far as I understand and it doesn't even mean that he fully believed in it but he understood the power of it like he you know he didn't know all the details and he he knows that the 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 lines of myth and religion like cross really heavily over each other but what I think is interesting is that Catholics are very focused on the death on the cross and I don't like that about Catholics because I think that there's so much more to uh, Jesus than that he dies on a cross. But everything, the only thing that's important to Catholics is like, 
look at this painting of Jesus dying on the cross. Look at the top. In the front of the church, you see a statue of Jesus dying on the cross, and he's just bloody, and he's broken, and he's battered, and he's beaten, and I don't like it. I don't like it most of the time. But having this conversation now, I think it does sort of give a new dimensionality for me that that's that's the there's nothing more real in what Jesus does on earth than than that moment. And I think that's why Catholics focus on it so heavily, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I agree. And another part that he goes into in regards to Jesus and kind of it does go into the literal nature of the Bible. And Joseph Campbell is very open when he says he doesn't think that really any part of the Bible is should be taken literally. You know, he really buys into this idea that, you know, we have myths throughout our history and myths really influence not only our culture, but also religions. And so then he goes on by talking about not only Jesus's crucifixion, but then also the resurrection and what that image really means in mythology and what it could mean um, when looking at it through that lens, instead of just in that literal nature of Jesus dying and um, rising from the dead, but kind of a greater imagery. And so I'm going to read it and know that you do not have to agree with what I'm going to read. I know probably a lot of people won't, but I think it's important to just talk about these types of Mm -hmm. things because if you can just take it for what it is, I think it's very powerful in regards to just really understanding a different part of, you know, the Christ story and also just a different way to relate to Christ. And I think that that's always a good thing. So here it is. It's, it's a paragraph. So here we go. I'm like nervous to read it. Um, (laughs) But if you read in quotes, Jesus ascended into heaven in terms of its metaphorical connotation, you see that he has gone inward, not into outer space, but into inward space to a place from which all beings come into er, comes into consciousness that is the source of all things the kingdom of heaven within the images are outward but their reflection is inward the point is that we should ascend with him by going inward it is a metaphor of returning to the source alpha and omega of leaving the fixation out of the out leaving the fixation on the body behind and going to the body's dynamic source. And he talks a lot about the dynamic source of like being the soul within. Um, and I, I really relate to this, like on a very spiritual level, um, because I think that, you know, I, th- I do think the Christ story is so powerful, um, but there is a part of it that seems too focused on the physical part of Jesus dying and rising up. And I think we focus too much on that. And I understand that that is the whole point of Christianity, that Christ died for our sins, <laughs> but I get it. But I think that there's more to the story than just the physical nature. I mean, we are more than just a physical body. We are mind, soul, and body. And so I don't like that we only focus on this physical aspect that Jesus died and not look at the mind or the spiritual aspect. And so I, I like the idea that he brings up that maybe it's just about going inward into your, you know, back into yourself and, you know, going back into your soul so that you can also, you know, give more back to the universe. And I know it sounds very spiritual, but I don't know. I relate to that on a, on a pretty big level and I hope others do as well. How do you 
So does he mean, does he mean like, like a day to day thing? This isn't like, as, as you were born, you will die sort of thing. This is like, does, does he see it as Jesus as the example of constantly like going back into yourself and yes, definitely for sure. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think that, uh, I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I, I really like the, the phraseology and the sort of the terms for like heaven coming to earth like the the ideas of heaven and the the ways of heaven and i think of heaven in a, a lot of different ways and and some of which are the way that campbell talks about it like being the source of life and being being a peace being something where everything comes from and and not being like anything we know because we live in all results we don't live in in this like ether of where things are from and i think that the power of the the jesus story is that we we are tapping into that like we are we are making as much of our lives as possible here that way what what he what he came and did makes it possible you know for us to to be able to do that and i think that that is related to what you are saying and i think that uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a strong believer in, in you know, Western civilization being what it is because of Christianity on the planet, mm-hmm. and and I think that uh, the the cultural evolution is like the the way that we have become more introspective is probably because of Jesus, you know, and I think that that is related to to what you're talking about as well. In the sense of like, uh, Jesus is doing something that is um, that is showing us that we need to go inward. To use the words of Joseph Campbell, in a way that I don't think other people were saying in history. I think the only person who really uh, comes close in in terms of the Bible would be um, David terms of other philosophers i'd i would have to look into it but is this making sense yeah that's making a lot of sense um one thing that it made me think of as we were talking about this concept of you know going inward but then also kind of having to live in this physical world there was another quote in there that it made me think of and it is the inner world is the world of your requirements and your energies and your structure and your possibilities that meet the outer world. And the outer world is the field of your incarnation. That's where you are. You've got to keep that going. As novelist said, the seat of the soul is there where the inner and outer worlds meet. The reason I like that is because I think I know for me personally, I like to get focused on this idea of, you know, going inward too much that I forget that there's more to life than just kind of like meditating and trying to connect to that inner part of yourself, because we really have to find this happy medium between having, you know, having to live in this physical world, but then also having this kind of connective spiritual soul that really kind of goes against a lot of the experiences that we're having on a daily basis. And I think that especially Mm -hmm. for someone like with anxiety, like myself, I think it's very easy to want to get away from the physical world and to really try to focus on that inner self so that the, the outer self is easier to deal with. 
And so that's why I like this quote because especially the quote at the end where the seat of the soul is there where the inner and the outer worlds meet. And that's kind of where we need to be um, just, I feel like spiritually, you know, we really have to be in this world. I feel like that's actually in the Bible, be in the world and not of the world or something. So the Bible's great, I guess. Isn't that, isn't that? A, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think about exactly I'm, how it goes. I'm pretty sure it's like, it's like be, be it, yeah, be in be and in not the, of. Yes. So yeah. You got, and you, you totally believe going. that. I guess I do. You do. Yeah. I am reformed. <laughs> I am reformed. <laughs> um, yeah. Something you said uh, that, that, uh, that is really funny to me is that sometimes somebody will ask me like, how how a week has been or what i've been doing over the week and mm-hmm. it's been like a really inward week and like i don't even know how to like answer them you know where <laughs> yes. i'm like because you can't yeah, answer them seriously be like yeah what? i'm like i mean i didn't uh, it's been a really slow week and it hasn't been a slow week it's been a really amazing week like maybe i've had this like uh you know come to god moment and there's been this eureka that's happened in my life and i but I like if i've that... ever tried to explain it then i'm like yeah, you know, this week I realized where where my desires lie on a day to day basis, and then you're like, "Oh, you know, like that's you're like that's creepy." That's nice, Mathis. Yeah, you know, like it's it, it just reminded me that sometimes I have like a super productive inward week, and it's impossible to to fully explain anything exactly. like that to people because it's it's all you, it's all it's all your head and your spirituality and your God, and it's like it's a very personal thing and even if you wanted to share it it's very hard to share it with yeah. people because i feel like then uh, you'd have to give a lot of backstory in order to like make that right. sentence make sense you know you're like yeah i really just figured out my desire and then you're like well let me tell you about why i had exactly. to figure that out <laughs> and exactly three and there are, hours there are a later lot of, <laughs> exactly and there are there are i mean like that's something that you see in the church community a lot where it's like how was your week and people are like you know, it's, it's been a God week. That's for sure. It's been, it's been one of those weeks and they yeah. can't even like explain it to you. And you just have to take them at that answer because you're like, I don't think I could understand this. Even if I sat here with you for a half hour, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just like, I'm glad you had a good God week, you know, using air quotes right now. Right. I'm like the opposite of you where I, I'm a very mm-hmm. much outward liver and I can, I can go like a full day without thinking that God exists just because I'm not thinking about it, you know, right. where I'm just like, Oh, God's a thing. You know, like I'll wake up like then <laughs> yeah. like two days later and be like, Oh my God, I have a soul. You know, it's very, it's very hard to explain. I, but. I love that. We're so different because I, it's like, <laughs> I can't even imagine like being like that, but I would love that to like have one I mean, day where I'm just like not contemplating so much yeah. of existence. What, what the the one part where it kind of shoots me in the foot sometimes is I will like tire myself out in ways and not realizing that I'm like suffocating myself yes in certain in certain ways and it's like why is this so hard for me to do right now and then it's like well have you really thought about where your motivations for that task are coming from or have you thought about what's giving you the most fulfillment on a day-to-day basis or have you have you really stopped to think about all of your actions that you've taken in the last week? And usually if I stop, it does help me like in terms of that, like, why can't I figure this out thing? Stopping does help. And you do have to be seated in that place where you're very rooted in both parts of your life to be able to do that. 
Yes. And we're, and we're both struggling in very different ways with it. We are. And that's great. That's about all I got. That's my life in a nutshell. In the in a metaphorical nutshell because you don't have an outer nutshell. Exactly. Well. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is this has been a super awesome conversation about the um about the book. I'm so glad you're reading it. I told you that at the, mm-hmm. before we started recording the episode. I wish that I was reading it and you make me want to read it. And I feel like everything that you are reading or have read, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be reading that right now. <laughs> but such it's, is the life of somebody who focuses on the outer. And exactly. Not the inner. That's so true. That's the <laughs> distinction. Um, anyways, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's episode. Yes. As a super fun conversation. I, I like, you know, I like Christianity and the terms and lenses of mythology a lot. I think it's such a great conversation and I look forward to talking about it more when you get to the end of the book. Yeah. Anyways, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Uh, you can send us, you know, emails about topics you want us to discuss or thoughts that you have on the episode if you would like to. And that's, at hello and to do at gmail.com. That's H E L L O A N D A D I E U at gmail.com. And you can uh, follow us on Twitter, and that is at hello and to do. And you can rate, subscribe, and review us on iTunes, and that'll help other people find the podcast. Thank you so much for stopping in. I hope you enjoyed this. I know me and John did. <laughs> we did. You we can tell did. by our enthusiasm. <laughs> We're so excited. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I do. All right. I bid you adieu. Adieu.